Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read there in uh, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and reading again verses 28 and 29. Luke chapter 9, and verses 28 and 29. For we read now, about eight days after these scenes, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Saturday, the 18th of October, 1997, was an unforgettable experience for me. Uh, My uncle Donnie had taken my brother and I, along with our cousins Adam and Mark, to Ibrox to see Rangers play Dunfermline. Uh, Rangers at that time had won nine league titles in a row. It seems almost impossible to, to imagine that now. And they were now aiming for a 10th league title with their legendary manager, Walter Smith, at the helm. And on that particular Saturday, Rangers turned on the style, beating Dunfermline 7-0. Goals coming from Marco Negri, Paul Gascoigne and Brian Laudrup. It was an unforgettable experience, made even more unforgettable by the fact that David and I got food poisoning from a dodgy burger... Uh, that lasted the best part of a week. And that is no reflection on Ibrox's uh, burgers. Today we're continuing our studies in the life of Peter and we're looking at this unforgettable experience that he had with his friends James and John. And we're looking at it under two headings, the sight and then the sound. The sight and then the sound. First you've got the sight. Look at verses 28 to 32. Here Luke focuses on what Peter saw. In verse 28, Luke records the trip. We can begin by noting what Jesus has been doing in verses 18 to 27. He has asked his disciples who the crowd think that he is, and the disciples reply that the crowd, the people in general, think that he is a prophet, a man sent by God and speaking for God. And then Jesus makes things a little more, a little more personal as he asks them, but you, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ of God. And having heard Peter's confession, he has told the disciples that he must suffer many things, that he must be rejected by the religious establishment, that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised. He has gone further and told them that if anyone would be one of his followers, then they must deny themselves, take up their crosses, and follow after him. And in many ways, these are very hard things for the disciples in general, and Peter in particular, to get their heads around. They are more than happy to confess Jesus to be the Christ of God, but they find it hard to accept what he's saying about dying on a cross. And they find it even harder to accept what he's saying about taking up crosses to follow after him, the the cost of discipleship. We can now continue by noting where Jesus goes in verse 28. About eight days after he'd been saying these things, he goes up a mountain to pray. Luke doesn't tell us what mountain this was. That is not Luke's concern on this occasion. Luke is far more concerned about what took place on this mountain. We can also note who Jesus took with him. Peter and James and John are all named. As we look at the life of Jesus, we see that the crowds would often be following him. But within the crowd, there is an inner circle of 12 men whom Jesus had, has called and chosen to be with him. But even within that inner circle of 12 men, 
there is an inner circle of three men whom Jesus is especially close to. There was Simon, the son of John or Jonah, whom Jesus had given the name Peter, meaning rock to. And there were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, whom Jesus had given the name Boanerges, meaning sons of thunder, hot-tempered ones too. And now Jesus takes these three men up this mountain to pray. We can move from the trip to the transformation in verses 29 to 31. Luke begins by speaking about the appearance of Jesus in verse 29. We read that his face was altered, changed, transformed. Matthew adds that his face shone like the sun. We also read that his clothing became dazzling white. His garments shimmer, they they sparkle, they shine from the brightness, the radiance coming from his face. Luke goes on to speak about the appearing of two figures, verses 30 and 31. He writes that two men appeared with him. And the men are identified as Moses and Elijah, great prophets from the Old Testament era. And these men now appear with Jesus and they speak with him about his departure. Now if you look here, that word departure means a little more than what the English says. That word departure is better translated as exodus. In the Old Testament, the exodus was the great saving event where God delivered his people, rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. And now these two prophets are speaking with Jesus about an exodus, a deliverance, a rescue that he will accomplish through his death, his resurrection and his ascension in Jerusalem. Now, Before proceeding, I want us to think about what an encouragement that would have been for Jesus. What an encouragement for Jesus. Here he is and he's living among these people who think that he's nothing more than a prophet. A man sent by God and speaking for God. But in this moment he has been reminded of who he is. He's been reminded of his divine glory. He has been reminded that he is the one who dwells in blazing, blinding light. And not only that, he's living among a a group of men, these 12 men in, in general, and these three men, Peter, James and John in particular, and these men can't get their heads around the fact that Jesus is going to die in Jerusalem. You remember last week, Peter had said, never Lord, that that is never going to happen to you. And in this moment, he is able to converse not with these three men, Peter, James and John, but with these two prophets, Moses and Elijah, who are reminding him about what he has come to do in Jerusalem. That he has come to accomplish an exodus, a deliverance, a rescue for his people through his death, his resurrection and ascension. He has been encouraged in this moment. We can move from the transformation, though, to the tiredness. Verse 32. Luke tells us that Peter and James and John had fallen asleep. Their eyes were literally weighed down with tiredness, with sleep. They'll do the same thing in Luke 22. Jesus will tell them to keep watch and to pray that they will not enter into temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they will respond by falling fast asleep. Sleeping instead of praying is something that these three men excel in. And maybe it's something that we excel in ourselves. Do you ever have that feeling where where you know you should be praying? And even as you're praying, you're drifting off to sleep. 
Or maybe a big confession. Maybe you're hearing someone praying at the prayer meeting. And you want to add your amen to their prayer. But, but you find that you're just drifting off. I've done it. Not with any man here. But I remember hearing Alistair Begg. This is a big confession. But hearing Alistair Begg praying on an online service during lockdown. And as he's praying and praying and praying. I just fell asleep. And that's Alistair Begg. Never mind any of the guys in our own congregation. Here's Peter, James and John and they're falling asleep as Jesus prays. But suddenly as the appearance of Jesus changes and Moses and Elijah appear on the scene, Peter and James and John find themselves fully awake. They're able to catch a a glimpse of the glory of Jesus, his altered face and altered clothing. And furthermore, they're able to catch a glimpse of these two men, Moses and Elijah, who have appeared with him. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being given a revelation of who Jesus is. A revelation of who Jesus is. That is what Peter saw. During the time that Peter had spent with Jesus, he had only ever seen his humanity, his divinity, his divine splendor was veiled, was cloaked by his human flesh. All Peter could see in the time that he spent with Jesus was a man. But now at this moment in time, Jesus is revealed to Peter and those with him in his divine splendor. Peter is able to see in a way that he had never seen before the glory of Jesus. And 20 or 30 years later, Peter would write, we were eyewitnesses of his glory. And Peter is going to need that big view of Jesus. He is going to need that big vision of who Jesus is, that vision of glory to sustain him and settle him and strengthen him in the days and the weeks that lie ahead when he will see Jesus suffering and not only see Jesus suffering, but will also find himself called to suffer for Jesus. And you know, friends, that is so important for us today. We need a big view of Jesus. We need to see Jesus, friends, as more than a ticket out of hell into heaven when we die. We need to see Jesus as the Lord of glory. And we need to see and savour his glory because if we don't, we'll soon find ourselves in trouble. John Piper writes, I have a picture in my mind of the majesty of Christ like the sun at the centre of the solar system of your life, the mass of sun, 333,000 times the mass of the earth, holds all the planets in orbit, even little Pluto, 3.6 billion miles away. So it is with the supremacy of Christ in your life, all the planets of your life, your sexuality, your desires, your commitments, your beliefs, your aspirations, your dreams, your attitudes, your convictions, your habits, your disciplines, your solitude, your relationships, your labor, your leisure, your thinking, your feeling, all the planets of your life are held in orbit by the greatness and gravity and blazing brightness of the supremacy of Jesus Christ at the center of your life. And if he ceases to be the bright, blazing, satisfying beauty at the centre of your life, the planets will fly into confusion. And a hundred things will be out of control. And sooner or later they will crash into destruction. I know that from experience. 
I've seen Christian friends go completely off the rails, make crazy decisions because they took their eyes off the glory of Jesus. And you know what, friends? I've known what it is to make some really unwise choices and do some stupid things Things I really regret. Things that I would never tell any of you about. Things that I never thought I would do myself. All because I took my eyes off the glory of Jesus. And so this morning I want to ask each of you the question. How big, how glorious is your Jesus? Is he worth living for? Is he worth dying for? Is he worth denying yourself anything for? How big, how glorious is your Jesus? Is he bigger, more glorious than your family? Is he bigger, more glorious than your work? Is he bigger, more glorious than your finances? Is he bigger, more glorious than your health? Is he bigger, more glorious than that sinful habit that you've been entertaining? That sinful course of action that you've been pursuing? How big, how glorious is your Jesus? You know, friends, if Jesus was to appear in his transcendent glory today, we wouldn't think about COVID. We wouldn't think about cost of living. We wouldn't think about what's going on outside. We would be captivated by him. So friends, how big, how glorious is your Jesus? But we come second to the sound. Look at verses 33 to 36. Where Luke focuses on what Peter heard. In verse 33, we hear the appeal. Luke tells us what Peter said in response to what he was seeing at the beginning of verse 33. He has just woken up and he's seen the, the changed appearance of Jesus and he's seen Moses and Elijah appearing with him. And as he watches what's taking place, he sees that Moses and Elijah are parting from Jesus. And now Peter, as, as usual, the, the one who always wants to blur out whatever comes into his head, now Peter cries out, Master, Lord, it is good that we are here. He sees himself as being privileged to be able to see what is taking place. And he continues, let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter wants to make tents, tabernacles, shelters, shrines for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. He wants the experience of glory to continue. He wants to prolong what is taking place. But Luke adds that Peter said this not knowing what he said. Peter doesn't know what he's saying. Because if he did, then he wouldn't be trying to get Jesus to remain on that mountain. Moses and Elijah are speaking with Jesus about his departure that he will accomplish in Jerusalem. And there's Peter and he's saying, let's just sit on this mountain. And furthermore, he doesn't know what he's saying because Peter has just confessed Jesus to be the Christ of God. And now he's putting Jesus right up there with Moses and Elijah. They're they're all on an equal footing. Let's make tents. Let's make tabernacles. Let's make shelters. Let's make shrines for these three figures. 
We move from the appeal to the announcement in verses 34 and 35. As Peter is speaking, a cloud comes and overshadows all those who are on the mountain. Verse 34. Now, the cloud represents the special presence of God. And now Jesus and Moses and Elijah and Peter and James and John enter the cloud. The cloud envelops them. The cloud overshadows them. We read that Peter and James and John were afraid as they entered the cloud. They are afraid as they come into the presence of God in this way. And as they find themselves enveloped and overshadowed by this cloud, a voice comes out of the cloud. Look at verse 35. The cloud begins. The voice begins by saying, this is my son. In Luke chapter 3, a voice announced from heaven, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased at Jesus' baptism. And now in Luke chapter 9, this voice from this cloud announces, This is my Son. This is who Jesus is. The eternal Son of God. And the voice continues by saying, This is my chosen one. The prophet Isaiah spoke about the Lord appointing one whom he would put his spirit on. One who would accomplish his work of salvation. His chosen one. And now in Luke chapter 9, a voice announces from this cloud, This is my chosen one. And the voice concludes by saying, Listen to him. In the days of Moses, God had said that he would raise up a man after Moses. One who would speak his word. One whom people were to listen to. And now this voice is saying from this cloud, This is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen, listen, listen to him. And you know, before proceeding, I want us to think once again about what an encouragement that would have been to Jesus. Here he is on his way to Jerusalem. And he's going to be resisted. And he's going to be rejected. And he's going to be ridiculed by the religious establishment who will taunt him and will even say to him from the cross, if you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. And before he goes any further, there's his father and his father is saying to him, you are my son. You are my chosen one. And whatever the religious establishment say to you, however discouraged you might be, You are my son. You are my chosen one. The dark clouds are are hovering around Jesus. Dark days are ahead. And as these dark clouds are beginning to gather around Jesus, this cloud from heaven comes assuring him that he is the one who is sent from heaven, that he is precious to heaven, that he is the son of God. We move from the announcement to the aftermath in verse 36. Luke draws their attention to the solitude of Jesus. After the voice is spoken, the cloud, along with Moses and Elijah, disappears. Peter and James and John now find that Jesus is alone. Moses and Elijah have departed to heaven. Jesus has remained on earth. And he has remained on earth to accomplish The work of salvation in Jerusalem. He's remained for his people. Derek Thomas writes, Jesus will shudder in Gethsemane. 
There is a weight and burden on him that the gospel writers say was killing him, crushing him. The thought of bearing our sin and dying for our sin is overwhelming him. The thought of descending into hell is weighing him down. And just for a moment he might have thought, I can go through with Moses and Elijah and this will be over. And if this happened, then we wouldn't be saved. Our sins wouldn't be atoned for. Today we praise Jesus for going through that port, not for going through that portal, but for staying here and enduring the cross and enduring the shame. Isn't that amazing, friends? That we see that Jesus remained alone, that he didn't go to heaven with Moses and Elijah, but he said, I will remain on earth, and I will remain on earth for Roddy, and I will remain on earth for Malcolm, and I will remain on earth for Ali, and I will remain on earth for every one of these Christians in the high free. I will go through it all for them. And having drawn our attention to the solitude of Jesus, Luke draws our attention to the silence of the disciples. We read that they kept silent, told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. They're unprepared. They're unwilling to proclaim what had happened on that particular day and on that particular mountain. They they will not be able to speak about it until the day that Jesus has been killed and resurrected and ascended in Jerusalem, the day of his departure. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we've been given a reminder of how we ought to respond to Jesus. A reminder of how we ought to respond to Jesus. That's what Peter heard. He has heard this cloud announcing from heaven that that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus is God's chosen one, and he has heard this voice from the cloud commanding him to listen to Jesus. The words of Jesus surpass the words of anyone else. They supersede the words of anyone else, whoever they are and wherever they're from. And the wisest thing that Peter and those with him can do is to give the words of Jesus their full acceptance, their full approval, their full attention. Peter and those with him need to learn to listen to Jesus. And that is so important for us today. Christians are a listening people. Or we ought to be a listening people. In an article for the Deciding God website, J.A. Meadows writes, in middle school, maybe some of the young people might resonate with this, in middle school, my parents diagnosed me with a common disorder. Selective hearing. I couldn't hear my dad telling me to do the dishes or take out the trash, but I could hear him whispering about my upcoming birthday presents. I don't think I'm the only one with this problem. Selective hearing, also known as disobedience, is banned in the kingdom of Christ. Disciples must always be dialed in to the voice of our Lord. Listening to Jesus is vital to the Christian life. Discipleship demands non-selective hearing from Jesus. I have never heard his voice with my ears, but the risen Christ does speak to me. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. He speaks, and Stuart said this earlier, he speaks via the scriptures. Today, friends, Jesus comes to his people with the promise that he has died for all their sins, past sins, present sins, Future sins. 
He comes to them with the assurance that he has received them into his family and that he will never lose them. He comes to them with the comfort that he will never abandon them and that he will always be with them. He will be with them in their highs and with them in their lows. He comes to them with the offer of rest for their wearied and heavily laden, heavily burdened souls. He comes to them with the instruction to to love God more than anything else or anyone else and to love their neighbour as they love themselves. He comes to them with the reminder that his grace is made powerful in their weakness, in their limitations. He comes to them with the call to deny themselves, take up their crosses, follow him wherever he leads. And however difficult it might be, he comes to them with the warning to turn away from the sins that they might be indulging, the sins that they might be playing around with, the the sins that are hindering, hampering, holding back their friendship and fellowship with him. And he comes to those who aren't yet his people. And he comes to them with the command to repent, the command to believe, the command to come to him, the the command to abide in him. Jesus says so many things. And as he says all these things, his father says at the same time, this is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. Well, this morning I want to close by asking each of us the question. Are we listening to Jesus? Now you've heard a sermon today. You've heard the word read. But are you listening to Jesus? Are you hearing? Are you acting on what he's saying? This is my son. My chosen one. Listen to him. Let's pray.